Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Really good to be with you. And our theme today is part two of the key to address our church scandal crisis. And last week, we addressed the issue of boards and applied it there. Today, I want to apply it specifically to cultivating spiritual depth in the lead pastor, the staff, the volunteer leadership team uh, of your ministry or, or church. And so I'm, ex- I'm very excited to expand on the key, uh, which really is developing depth uh, in our teams uh, and our boards. But first, let me respond to a few questions that emerged from last week on the issue of boards before I uh, dive in to uh, pastor, staff, volunteer leadership teams. Uh, the first was, hey, this is a bit overwhelming. Pete, um, you know, I, I don't know. This, this seems so large. So let me just encourage you to take a large view and a long view of this uh, just as you begin to slowly drip in some healthy practices of spiritual formation, uh, it will bring depth over time. So don't get paralyzed or overwhelmed. The key thing is just begin. Then another question came up regarding the role uh, of the board uh, with the uh, staff or lead pastor as well. So I, I mentioned it. Let me just try to say it a bit more clearly that uh, the board... Uh, whether it be elders, deacons, uh, they steward, uh, they're the ultimate authority, and they steward the uh, the mission and the values of the church or ministry. They guard the overall health of her. And so the board oversees uh, the or supervises the lead pastor, and they give input uh, into the goals and strategy and uh, but uh, but day the day the day to day operation uh, of the ministry, Uh, are delegated by the board to uh, that lead pastor and their team. Uh, That's my very strong recommendation. But then what about boards? What about churches that don't have a board? It's just the lead pastor. And uh, I would simply say that that's, in my humble opinion, it's too much power in one person. Uh, It's dangerous. It's challenging. I I like the quote. I I believe it's been attributed to John Maxwell, who probably grabbed it from somebody else, which goes something like this, that every godly leader knows that they cannot trust themselves, that every godly leader leader knows they can't trust themselves. And uh, for just one person to have all that power and authority without any kind of uh, being under anyone is a bit dangerous, at least anyone who knows them close on. And, and it really does become challenging when you think about the long-term future and succession and over generations. Uh, and then another question has to do with what about the situation where the lead pastor and the staff are the board? Uh, and I would argue in the same way, that's a bit dangerous as well. It's a dual role because the lead pastor uh, oversees, uh, hires, and uh, supervises the staff. Uh, and then same time, it's the same relationship then as they function as the board, uh, the final authority over everything. And then operationally, they're still the final authority. So again, it's long term, it's not only not sustainable uh, generationally, and uh, it's a bit dangerous. Uh, And uh, so I would not recommend it. At the same time, founding pastors or any pastor who's been in over and leading a ministry for decades has enormous power. I know because I 
I, I was one of them. I planted and founded our church and led it for 26 years. So it just needs to be recognized the enormous power that a founder or a lead pastor has who's been there for decades. It's not a bad thing. It just needs to be carefully stewarded. It happened to me uh, at New Life when I was the lead pastor. I had mentored all the board members uh, over a long period of time. So uh, we were very careful and thoughtful to set up parameters of the board with me. Uh, They were in charge. They were the ultimate authority. I was a member of the board, but I was submitted to the board. They did annual reviews of me, et cetera. And I remember saying to the chairperson of the board, at, uh, multiple times we'd had these conversations if, uh, if I was inappropriate or did something that violated 1 Timothy 3, uh, that he needed to fire me, uh, put me in discipline out of love for the sheep, out of love and stewardship of the larger body. And boards have a responsibility and the authority to do that uh, when uh, the lead pastor and, and staff are not living out the character qualities for a leader that Paul says are absolutely indispensable in 1 Timothy 3. And if friendship and love for the lead pastor makes that impossible, uh, that's a dual relationship, uh, and they need to either you know, step down, they need to do something about that. That's a real dangerous problem. I, I love the story of the fourth century monk named John the Short. Uh, when he was approached by a jealous fellow monk when he was teaching in front of the church, and this fellow monk had said to him, oh, John, Uh, your cup is full of poison. And then John the Short's answer was, yes, it is. But you said that when you could only see the outside, I wonder what you would say if you saw the inside. And I think it's a great introduction as we move into our theme today, because John the Short uh, is not defensive in his response. He doesn't attack uh, the fellow who's attacking him. He doesn't retreat into into a self-protective shell, or he doesn't stop serving people. He just courageously admits his vulnerability and the truth and what he knows to be true about himself, that he, like Paul, uh, I am the worst of all sinners. Uh, Great way to introduce where we're going today. So let me just say again, I love the church. Uh, The church belongs to Jesus. She was bought at the price of her blood, and he's the head of the church. He's the chief shepherd. He's the chief pastor. And every person in the church has been bought by his blood uh, on the cross. Uh, And so people's time, energy, gifts, money, everything uh, belongs to him, and we steward that under his leadership. And I I do believe the local church uh, is the most important institution and place on the earth, uh, and that we look for fruit that will remain uh, over generations, uh, measuring it beyond our earthly lives. And so now let's move to the transition here to our theme of uh, how do we develop depth and do discipleship and formation of the lead pastor, the staff, volunteer leadership team, whatever it may be in your context? Because scandals are a reflection of shallow discipleship uh, in a church or also shallow leadership formation. Leadership development is really a high-level discipleship. Uh, so let me just say as we launch into this more clearly here is that the shift I'm I I believe we so urgently need in our day is away from a Western culture view of leadership to one that reflects uh, definitely the early church fathers, church, more of church history and scripture. Uh, And we see this clearly in the early church fathers who would be considered the second to the seventh centuries of the church. Um, uh, Because most of the greatest pastors and theologians and leaders who are, they're referred to as the doctors of the church uh, were first monks. Uh, they were anchored in a life of prayer and being with Jesus. 
out of which their service as leaders flowed in the church. In other words, their service flowed from the abundant, their abundance and experience with Jesus. And again, I'm thinking of people like Athanasius and Gregory of Nazianus and Basil the Great, Ambrose, Jerome, John Chrysostom, Augustine, Gregory the Great. Uh, these are called the doctors of the church. And uh, their being, their inner life, informed their outer life. Now, what's, that's so different than the leadership model of you know, post-Enlightenment Western culture, which we focus on leadership gifts, the externals, not the inner. Uh, we want to know what you can do. Uh, uh, can you raise up resources and mobilize people? Can you build this ministry larger up and to the right? Or are you a great communicator? Do you have a lot of followers um, on social media? Do you have the expertise and strategy? And do you have the intellectual and intellectual acumen? Do you have the skills to, to lead this thing? You know, I used to say to myself early on, I needed an MBA to lead the church. And are you politically savvy? Are you culturally up to date? Uh, again, there's so much to do as a leader, the way we, way we function today, that uh, in the outer life, that we end up skimming on our inner life. And that's why, for me, the, the, the number one issue here is that for every leader, for everyone of you listening to me, the number one uh, item on your job description uh, is to be with Jesus, out of which you live and lead for him. In other words, that your being comes before your doing in such a way that you're operating from a place of uh, overflowing of emotional and spiritual fullness. You're deeply aware of yourself. You're deeply aware of other people. And your doing for God is sustained by a deep being with him. So my invitation to you today in this podcast is going to be not just to make a few minor adjustments in your life to, as a way you follow Jesus and lead, but actually to make a major adjustment uh, that your number one job description is to be with Jesus, out of which you live and lead for him, which is no small task. It requires adjusting the way you do your days, your weeks, the quarters of every year, your years, uh, even your decades. I like the way Meister Eckhart said it in the year, in the 1200s, he says, people should not worry so much about what they do, but rather what they are. Uh, if they are good, and then their ways will be good. Their deeds will be radiant. If you are righteous, then what you do will also be righteous. I love that. We should not think about holiness, he writes, is not based on what we do, but rather who we are. For it's not our works which sanctify us, but it's we who sanctify our works. It's who we are. Love that. In other words, if we foc focus just on God's work, yet fail to know ourselves deeply, it ends up producing an external form of spirituality. It, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for us in spiritual leadership and can be disastrous for those we lead because there's a great potential for there being a large gap between how we appear in public and who we are in reality on the inside. Just think of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. So I want to unpack this today uh, as we talk about specifically developing depth uh, in our uh, staff and lead pastors, volunteer leaders, etc. Now, my best image for this um, has been always the image of a skyscraper here in New York City uh, in Manhattan. Manhattan is made up of granite or rock. And when they build these uh, 80, 100-story skyscrapers, they have to put in pilings or steel beams deep into the rock. they got to pound it in deeply. And the higher up they go, the deeper in these pilings or steel beams have to go into the rock. Uh, and so uh, in the past, they've had buildings where they didn't put in the steel beams properly. It takes a very long time. 
sometimes they can go down 25 stories down to, uh, a steel beam before they start going up. Uh, and so uh, they've done the pilings or the steel beams in poorly uh, at times. And so the building has leaned as they began to build it or uh, the windows can't open or there's cracks in the walls and they have to either lift up the skyscraper and redo the pilings or they have to tear the building down and start all over again. And uh, the inner life, I would call the pilings uh, in our lives. Our inner lives have to be deeply grounded in Jesus. Then we build up and outward. But if we build an external ministry uh, large uh, and wide without an inner foundation, we end up with cracks in the foundation. And my observation over decades was that there are four issues in particular that have to be uh, deeply grounded in our inner life as leaders if we are going to build upward and outward. And um, actually, I, I wrote about this in the book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And uh, it's actually the, this. Uh, the outline of the book, that there's four inner life issues. And again, this was out of my observations of, at the time, uh, 26 years of being lead pastor and traveling a bit around the world and my own observations of people who did not finish well and those who did finish well. And here's a four inner life issue or pilings that have to be deeply in our lives uh, out of which everything else flows. One is face your shadow. The second is lead out of your marriage or singleness. The third is slow down for loving union with Jesus. And the fourth is practice Sabbath delight. And then uh, the outer life flows out of that inner life, the way we make plans and make decisions, the way we build teams the, and cultures, the way we exercise our power and the way we do endings and transitions and new beginnings. So uh, I'm going to launch into each one one by one here. But before I do, let me encourage you to uh, download a, a free discussion guide on that book uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. I was going to make some comments about each one here, but I want to encourage you to, on your own, uh, read that book uh, slowly, prayerfully, maybe do it with a one or two other people or a team, and uh, do the discussion guide. Uh, it's well worth your time. It's a worth a prayerful, thoughtful read. Uh, again, it's emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. But for now, let's begin. Let's jump into one by one of those pilings in our inner life that if we're going to develop depth in our lives and provide the kind of safety for those we lead... Uh, we've got to address these four issues. The first I'm going to simply call face your shadow. Now, your shadow is basically, everyone's got a shadow. It's I'm going to define it as simply the accumulation of your untamed emotions, your less than pure motives uh, and thoughts that are often unconscious, but they strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It's the damaged uh, version, often hidden, of who we actually are. And it erupts in ways that surprise us often, uh, sometimes in sinful behaviors, uh, or a perfectionism that's judgmental or outbursts of anger or resentment or lust or greed or bitterness. And uh, it can reveal itself subtly in, in our need to rescue people or being liked by people or the need to be noticed or uh, sometimes we, we, we can't stop working or we tend to be rigid. Uh, and so there very often a shadow in our, in our leadership may, may emerge and yeah, we're leading, but we have this insatiable need for to be affirmed and liked by people. Or our perfectionism, we cross that line into that and, and we make no allowances for mistakes even by ourselves, let alone other people. Or we get so zealous that we just don't tolerate disagreement or people who see things differently than us. Or, or uh, our shadow takes over when we, we're so objective focused on our mission that we end up uh, stepping over people. Or we create an unsustainable pace for those who are following us. 
So, so facing our shadow is a very formidable task because we're, we're getting at idols deep within us as well. I, I love Thomas Aquinas' work. Uh, again, he's one of the greatest theologians of the Western Church in the 1200s. He wrote about the four major idols that we end up inserting in our lives as substitutes for God. He called them money, power, pleasure, and honor. Uh, money, power, pleasure, and honor. I think one of the biggest ones for leaders uh, is that unhealthy attachment to uh, honor. And you may say, I don't want to be famous, Pete. I, I know, but uh, it's that insidious cousin, which is I, I want to be admired. I, I want to be liked. Uh, I want people to like me. Uh, I want to be seen as somebody, you know, by by folks. And, and it gets into us and our shadow, and we end up making poor decisions and getting anxious, uh, hurts our relationships, etc. So it's slowing down to be reflective, that we're not just doing machines. And so we face our shadows in a number of ways. And so, for example, we've got to create time and space to actually name what's going on inside of us in terms of our feelings uh, before God. Uh, it's doing things like using a genogram to explore uh, your history and how it's created vulnerabilities in your present. And I've talked a lot about a genogram here. I talked about it last week a bit and as well about getting at your shadow. It's probably the best way I know to get at your shadow, at least an initial take. And then again, being aware of your vulnerabilities and uh, many years, almost 17 plus years to develop this tool. It's a great tool. It's in the EH discipleship course, uh, in the relationships part of the course, part two. But I really want to encourage you to get a hold of that, uh, do that, check out our, again on our website, check out the course. But then you want to have trusted people around you that are more mature than you, not less, um, who are ahead of you in the journey that can speak into your, or maybe you can't see in yourself. Even this Wednesday, I have an appointment this week uh, with a mentor that I know for, I've had for years. He's older than me. I've got to make a decision. Uh, uh, and I know, of course, I've journaled about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been praying about it. I've, been, I've had silence. I've had consolations, desolations. I've talked with Jerry. I've talked to our team. But I just, I, I, I just want to talk with someone who, him as well, someone who's a mentor, someone who's older, uh, more mature, and just if there's something in my shadow I'm just not seeing. Uh, so I made an appointment with him, looking forward to it. I, I just need others. You need others. Uh, that's why we want to build healthy teams and cultures in our ministries as well. Because when we do this kind of work, this kind of inner work of facing our shadow, we can receive tough questions from people, even criticism and correction, without being defensive or destroyed or by it. When we do this kind of work, we don't fall into this entitlement mentality. I once asked uh, an agent, a literary agent, many years ago when I first started writing, and, and she'd been around a lot of famous people, and I, and I asked her, what's the greatest danger you think that a Christian leader should watch out for? And she said, without beating an eye. She goes, I've seen people that they were quite humble, but once they became, quote, well-known or famous, she says, they fell into entitlement. They no longer were grateful for what people did. There was a sense of entitlement. And she, I, I just, very fascinating. But when we do this kind of work, I don't think we fall into entitlement. We, we stay in a place of humble gratefulness. And then when we do this kind of work, we, we don't have to look for, quote, worldly success because we recognize God's equally present in failure. God's so much bigger than this short-term measurements that we have. And so, again, we're creating culture that's spilling over to everyone around us. But it's not just we face our shadows. We also, number two, and the second piling is that we, we lead out of our marriages or singleness. And, and the reason this is so important is because it, it's, 
whether you're married or single, it's about being grounded. It's about being present. It's so easy to be building, leading, setting goals and objectives on a daily basis, but we're not actually grounded uh, and present. And I'm referring here specifically to being present if you're married in your marriage and your family, and then present in your singleness with your community as a single person, uh, that you're treating people as a thou's, not an it. Because if you're not doing it there in your closest relationship, you can be sure it's not happening uh, in, in your leadership as well. Our whole life as, as leaders and followers of Jesus is to bear witness to his love for the world. And we do that in different ways as marriage and singles. And we're meant to be a sign and a wonder in our marriages and a sign and wonder in our singleness. It's, it's a sacramental theology that, that our first ambition is Jesus, of course, and then it's, it's living it out in our marriages and, and singleness. Um, we offer people in the way that we live in our closest relationships. We're like a movie trailer or a book chapter on Amazon. We give people a taste of a larger life of God. And uh, so from the very beginning, marriage created by God was meant to point to something bigger than itself. Uh, earthly marriage is a, a visible reminder of the ultimate destiny of human beings, which is to be married to Jesus eternally. Uh, it points to the very meaning of our existence. It points to heaven. It's, it's an incredible revelation. It makes visible the invisible through the physical. It's prophetic. Uh, and people see the love of God in our marriages, and it points to God's love in the here and now for everybody. It's concrete. It's a visible. It's, it's a walking, talking picture of how God loves us. And uh, it's not just private. It's for the world. And the same goes for singleness. Uh, we're meant to be a sign and a wonder. And our first ambition as, as followers of Jesus, after Jesus, is to be a sign and wonder, live out a healthy singleness in our culture. That's no small task. Um, we, are, we are as well... Um, like an Amazon book chapter. We are a movie trailer. We give people a taste of we're married to Jesus. Again, whether you're vocationally celibate or, or circumstantially single right now, but we are going forth two by two in our marriages and singleness. We're grounded. We're present. Uh, we're not using leadership to run away from hard things that uh, keep us with our feet on the ground. But the third big item is not just face your shadow and lead out of your marriage or singleness. It's slow down for loving union. And by loving union, I'm referring to uh, with Jesus, where we allow Jesus and his will full access in our life in a posture. We're just open. We're attentive. We're surrendered. We're abiding always. We're praying always, John 15. We're communing always, remembering Jesus always. He is our life. So we've slowed down for a life of, of being with Jesus, abiding in Jesus. And we're not living at a warped speed and we're not allowing our soul to get warped uh, as we're doing ministry. Listen, it's been said for centuries that busyness is the enemy of spirituality. Uh, as C.S. Lewis would say, it's, it's, it's essentially laziness. It's, uh, busy people are lazy people, he wrote. You know, it's doing the easy thing instead of the hard thing. It's filling our time with our actions versus paying attention to what's God doing. Uh, it's taking charge. And so my life is Jesus being with Jesus, the inner life of being with him out of which everything flows, my outer life. And it's just so easy to do God's work our way. It's so subtle, and we end up paying a deep price. And I, I, I can think of a couple big passages in Scripture, you know, the seven sons of Sceva who watched Paul doing extraordinary miracles and the explosive growth of his ministry, and they wanted a piece of the action. 
And so they began to say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Started driving out demons. And, and then the, the, one day an evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but what about you? Uh, and they end up getting a beating by the demons. They don't have a life with loving union of Jesus to sustain what they're doing. Um, and yet they're doing the works of Jesus. And again, our inner life, we focus on being with Jesus. And I think of Moses in Numbers 20, when he's with his brother Aaron, it's the end of his ministry, but he, he, he loses loving union with Jesus. He gets out of whack. He's frustrated. He's angry at these two to three million people he's leading. And Jesus, you know, God says, speak to the rock. Uh, he's frustrated. He, he raises his arm and he strikes the rock twice. And he rebukes the people, calling them rebels. Uh, and instead of honoring God and obeying God, he, he just strikes the rock like he did in the past. People's needs get met, but they pay a stiff price. And their unbelief and rebellion, that's what God calls it. And he doesn't enter the promised land as a result. And so we've got to ask ourselves in terms of is your pace of life, is my pace of life and leadership, is it diminishing or enhancing my ability to allow God's presence full scope in my life? That's why I recommend doing a full rule of life, uh, which comes again out of uh, Desert Fathers. Um, it's not about rules, it's about creating a trellis, uh, our unique combination of practices and structure to help us pay attention to God in everything we do. It's something we can do for individuals as well as communities. We create a desert for our lives. And so you want to ask yourself, you know, what, what's so essential for my soul, my inner life with God that it's like breathing, you know, for my body? And so out of that, you create a, a, a rule of life or a trellis for yourself. So again, uh, I want to encourage you, as you, if you dig into an emotionally healthy leader, you'll see an example of mine and how to actually build a rule of life in there. But I'm talking about the, some core things like scripture and silence and the daily office and the examine and Sabbath and healthy community. That we do. There's things we need, are, we need anchors to keep us slow down in loving union with Jesus. And then finally, my, my fourth piling is practice Sabbath delight, that my life is not just work, it's God, and I, I work is good, but I'm constantly in a weekly basis tasting heaven, I'm tasting eternity, um, and Sabbath is defined as a 24-hour time frame every week without anxiety or have-tos. Uh, it's a container, it's different than the other six days. It's a core spiritual formation discipline, and Jesus said it was made for us, not us for the Sabbath, Mark 2.27. And so I lay out, you know, four core elements to Sabbath, you know, stop, rest, delight, contemplate. It's like an oil light in a car when I'm, when I'm not engaging in that Sabbath practice, uh, I know something's off, off kilter. It's like not praying or reading scripture, something's off kilter here. Well, Sabbath is about uh, practicing Sabbath delight that I have, a, I'm enjoying the miracle of life all around me. And Sabbath breaks that addiction to cr uh, that crack of doing or producing or accomplishing. Uh, it regulates us spiritually and emotionally, biologically. We're wired for that rhythm weekly basis. And, and Sabbath is just so critical because it helps us embrace our humanity, our, our vulnerability, our, our limits, our finiteness. But it also defeats the powers and principalities as well, as Walter Brueggemann writes in his book, Sabbath as Resistance. Um, you know, our, our identity is not what we do. It's, it's, it's being with God. It's we're free people. And so we say to everybody who follows us, follow me as I follow Christ. Sabbath is one of the ways we are signs and wonders. Uh, to the people we lead, and we point people to Jesus, and we, and we create culture uh, of what we do and by what we do and what we don't do. And that's why sabbaticals are so critical, uh, that we have regular sabbaticals you know, every seven, eight years, kind of like Israel had that sabbatical year, um, because we're all headed for an eternal Sabbath, and it enables us to, to detox off that doing, again, the culture we swim in in the West, which is do, 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 
And, uh, and so as we engage in these kinds of inner life practices, we're modeling for the church, we're modeling for the board, we're letting people see us up close and personal. It's long, it's large, it's slow, it takes time, but it's powerful. Uh, it's like building a skyscraper. And if we can get into that place, nothing will shake us. They'll lop, they'll, believe me, there'll be a lot less scandal as a result. In fact, I want to encourage you to build this into your supervision. Um, I did a couple of podcasts on that a while ago. And in other words, when you report to a board, or if you are a board, uh, or if you report to your supervisor, you want to answer, answer these two questions. How are your rhythms of being and doing? How am I doing? And then how is your marriage or singleness as a priority as you follow Jesus? Uh, and again, two questions about being before you get into the specifics of your actual role. And I would encourage you to do it with the folks that you supervise, perhaps, and as well as either the folks who are supervised you aren't asking, offer it to them. How are your rhythms of being and doing? And how is your marriage and singleness as a sign and wonder for Christ? So again, let me invite you to pick up the Emotionally Healthy Leader free discussion guide at emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. And I want to encourage you to study the book. Uh, it was written uh, to really expound on these four uh, pillars I've just talked about, and then how they impact the outer life that we uh, function in as leaders. Again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. You know, it's interesting, Paul at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, he was surrounded by scandals. Uh, read the book, it's fascinating. You know, he writes, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. He actually mentions their name. He mentions Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me, he writes in chapter 4. Then he writes, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him. Then he says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. It's just so interesting, isn't it? But he says, you know, he basically, I fought the good fight. And in Matthew 24, in that passage I mentioned last week, we're, we're called to, you know, it says, that because of the increase of wickedness at the end of time, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Uh, and this gospel will be preached to the whole world. And that word for the one who stands firm to the end is the word for hupomeno. It's he who remains, he who sticks with God. Um, and it's, it's, the word is for remaining in Jesus, again, in the, in the, instead of running and enduring in the midst of pressure and trouble and affliction. So I want to invite you to remain with Jesus, to stay firm in him uh, yourself uh, in these days, and that we can offer a gift to, of stability to our ministries, our churches, the organizations that we lead um, uh, for the glory of God. So let's take 30 seconds as we close here and just be before him uh, as we close our time together. Let's take 30 seconds to just be still before him. Let's begin. Thanks, everybody. It's been a great joy to be with you today. I hope uh, you experience the Lord's blessing and good hand upon you. God bless you. See you next week.